0: Welcome to the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast.
1: I'd like to welcome everyone to this special episode of the Broken Token Classic Arcade and Pinball Podcast. This episode is part of our continuing coverage of the Southern Fried Game Room Expo 2014. In this episode, we have the audio feed from a a discussion panel that that our own Whitney Roberts was able to moderate. The panel was Pimp Your Ride, Creating Custom Pinball and Video Games, held June 22nd, Mm -hmm. uh, that Sunday of the Expo. So Whitney, give us a rundown of of what we're going to hear.
2: Okay, Brent. This was a this this was a fantastic panel discussion because what we were able to do is get two gentlemen, uh, Paul Kiefert and uh, Jimmy Liam, to talk about creating custom pinball machines in, in pinball games, as well as uh, Joshua Chodowski and Britt Briscoe, who talked about creating custom arcade games. So we we kind of had the yin and the yang on this, Brent. We had uh, we had. Both sides represented, and uh, it's
1: like it's like the Jets and the Sharks.
2: It, it really is, man. So so Paul and Jimmy talked talked all up and down, you know, what it takes to create custom pinball machines and, and games. And we even had a special reveal at the end of this panel discussion, Brent. And you know, in the interwebs just lit up after this panel discussion was over. You know, Credit Pinball picked up the news and just it was blasted everywhere. But uh, I, I would say that for everyone who is listening to this panel discussion, go all the way through because you're going to learn a lot you're just really going to enjoy yourself I mean this was probably one of the one of the most I would say organic discussions that that I've had or I've been able to participate in from the fact that we started this we started with the questions and then Brent it was just like a landslide it just went all over the place but in a really good way you know so it was a lot of fun it was a privilege and I do want to thank uh, president and Patrick for having you know the confidence in us to chair the you know to chair these panel discussions that we have and uh, and Brent I would say at this point uh, why don't we go ahead and get started well
1: let's actually thank preston and patrick uh yet again oh okay. whitney fair enough and i guess go- i was ahead
2: of myself wasn't <laughs> I? yeah sorry about that And
1: we'll go ahead and we'll mention make sure you check out preston and patrick's feed uh for the game room junkies podcast they're going to carry additional coverage of the southern fried game room expo to include Uh, Arcade legends and discussions with David Cruz of Tron fame, Joel West of Berserk and Frenzy fame, George Lutz, um, world record holder, world class Kubert player, uh, Richie Knuckles, uh, Billy Mitchell. Those mm-hmm. names stand, uh, stand uh, alone there. Mm-hmm. You don't need to qualify those. Exactly. Along with uh, this name, uh, Mr. Walter Day.
3: Exactly. Preston, who needs no introduction. Who
1: needs no introduction. That's right. Preston and Patrick are also going to carry uh, some coverage of uh, the Pinball Legends panels, including conversations with John Trudeau and Barry Ausler, and kind of one that's near and dear to my heart. Podcasting After Dark, which was a, a get together of all the attending podcasters uh, late Saturday night after the show closed down for a kind of a sit down and a round table type discussion. So yeah. you'll have uh, yours truly, Brent Griffith and Whitney Roberts. You'll have Nate Shivers from Coast to Coast, Pinball, Jonathan Lee Young from Arcade Repair Tips, and of course, um, Preston and Patrick. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Jonathan Lee Young at uh, Arcade Repair Tips, check out jonathan's feed jonathan's going to carry a panel uh hosted by jonathan uh whitney and myself uh entitled it's probably just a fuse and it's it's a qa discussion uh an actual a demo mm-hmm. uh kind of a. Uh, an, a f- an open floor on some of our experiences repairing games yeah it,
2: it was a good panel we had a lot of audience participation uh it, it was it was very uh it's very energetic i will say that yes so that, we, that one was a lot we of had fun. a good time we had a very good time
1: so with that let's learn how to pimp our ride and
2: let's do it all right good afternoon everybody i appreciate you all making it out to this uh session we're going to be talking about custom video game creation and custom pinball, and uh, this uh, the title of this session is called "Pimp Your Ride" uh, with uh, with uh, custom, like I say, custom video arcade and custom pinball. So we've got the pleasure of having four very, very distinct guests here on the, on the panel today, and we'll go ahead and, and start and and uh, name name everybody off and kind of give give a quick background, and then we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, what goes into making uh, making custom arcade games, and then we'll also talk about making custom pinball games as well. So first, here to my left is Mr. Uh, Brett uh, Brett Briscoe, who has created a uh, arcade game called Default Dan. And from what I understand, Britt, this game is actually on location right now, is being played out in the public. And uh, from what I understand, it's, it's getting some really good reviews, and it's going to be interesting to see you know some discussion around it based upon how you've designed that and some of the choices you've made and everything like that. So appreciate you being here. Thank you. Oh, yeah, okay, next we have Mr. Uh, Josh uh, Chodonsky, and he has created a game called Castle Kong. Okay, and uh, this uh, this game is also on location at Joystick Game Bar, and it's getting some very good reviews as well, so it's going to be interesting to hear some information around that. And then next over, we, we have Mr. Jimmy William, who has created a custom pinball machine called Demolition Man 2000. And then sitting to the far, well, to your all's far right is uh, Mr. Paul Kiefer. And you probably know him from the the Pens and Vid DVD series that he has uh, co-hosted with Mr. Al Warner. And so, guys, thank you for being on the panel here today. All right, so guys, I just want to take a... I'm sorry? Okay? Oh, you're too kind. You're too kind. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh Brent, we'll, we'll start with you. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Default Dan, what you, know, what, what you were after in designing this game? Kind of talk about some of the play mechanics and how it differs from you know, kind of your run-of-the-mill arcade game that, that's, uh, that's out today.
4: Sure, sure. So. Um Default Dan really came out of
2: uh, a game
4: jam, so game jams, you have 48 hours, they give you a theme uh, and you build a video game from scratch. Uh, the theme that we got uh, in this particular jam was Eye of the Beholder. So we kind of took that and kind of went from uh, you know, taking outside the game and we looked at what gamers normally want to do and don't want to do. Um, somebody set these rules up a long time ago and everybody's just followed them ever since, so we kind of joked around and were like, well, what if we just made a coin and when you touched it, you exploded? You know, so. So we, we tried to think about all the different things, um, we just kind of put those into the game. So it's, it's modeled just like a Mario game. When you pick it up, your first thought is, oh, it's just another Mario clone, let me go you know, play it. Um, and then you hit a coin, you explode into pieces, and then you start having to retrain your brain on how you do it. So you have to jump on spikes, which actually make you bounce. Uh, if you fall through a hole, you'll fall through the ceiling. Um, and different things like that so it's it's funny to watch uh, you know people play and their first reactions on that and then even as they play the game you continually forget don't touch the coins you know so you keep getting them Um, and and in other places you know you actually die and you're like what killed me and then when you go back to that spot you see the coins you're like I didn't even see them the first time so you know really we just try to take that and, and Play off of that, and it's it's uh, it's been a fun you know experience, and we just try to take from all the different games we grew up on Mario, Donkey Kong, Sonic, all of those, and kind of just pick pieces and put it in without, you know. Being too blatant, so we don't get sued or anything. So.
2: Well, let me ask you this: You said that you created this game in 48 hours in a code jam. So, so what do you develop a, a game in that you can get it done from start to finish in 48 hours? So,
4: um, we have done Unity and things like that. Um, okay. But Usually, when we're using Unity, we have a bigger team. So, this one was actually built in Game Maker. Uh, our team originally was four people. Okay. Uh, right now, we're still about the four or five, and then we've had help uh, as we've continued. But yeah, we use Game Maker. It's a lot easier and faster to create games in. Uh, it is semi-limited but uh, we use that and again when we came out of the jam we had about three levels done, a uh, few different mechanics and then it's been about a year of really perfecting it, redoing art, adding more mechanics, more levels and things like that.
2: So, so what about commercial interest or anything along those lines? I mean, is, do you, do you, What do you see as the future of this, of this game you know, now that you guys have, have got it established, people are seeing it and things along those lines? So right now we're just trying to finish it up uh, so that maybe we
4: can have the complete version. We're shooting for end of July, but it might be 1st of August. Um, yeah. And then we're going to try to put it out there through Steam, through iOS, Android, things like that. Um, we know that it, it has a catchy you know, uh, aspect to it um, with YouTube, it kind of blowing up on YouTube and having a lot of people uh, play the game on there. but. You know, From there, we're just going to try to push it as hard by coming to events like this and getting it in people's hands.
2: Cool. Well, Josh, this next question is for you. Can you tell us a little bit about your game and you know, how you created it? And uh, somewhat along the same lines here with Britt. I just want to get some background on the game and what all is involved. I want to talk about Brit's game. <laughs>
3: <laughs> he went to a game jam
5: where the theme was the 1990 RPG, Eye of the Beholder. And he came out with a Mario clone. I think that, that you totally missed, you know, the mark.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but it's an Inside Out Mario clone. Though. It's so like understand. you die all
5: the time. I think they were very clear on their theme, and you you went in a completely different direction. Literally. All right. So, um, yeah, Castle Kong was born from the King of Kong's documentary. When I saw when I you know so when I saw the documentary, I was like, man. I love Donkey Kong. Why, do, why does nobody make games like that? Because if you, think about, if you think about the golden age of arcade gaming, why does Donkey Kong and Pac-Man hold up so well today? It's because the game, the, the game theory is actually perfect. You don't need a quarter to play the game. The game in and of itself is the challenge. Okay. Whereas anything after 1987, like TMNT and all the, all the beat-em-ups and Street Fighter, are de- are definitively tethered to the coin. The coin is what's holding your your interest because you want to beat teenage mutant ninja turtles for under a buck, right? Like I've got four quarters. How far can I get into this game? And once you remove the quarter from the experience, it's no longer interesting. I don't know. Like I, I think we all love TMNT four, and we love all those you know those Simpsons beat 'em ups and all that stuff that they ever that Konami ever pushed out. But at the end of the day, when it's free play, it it loses. It's like it's uh, stress factor to it, that's sort of like, I need to survive and keep hitting these guys. And then it really exposes how flawed the game is when it's for free, right? Because you can't win on your own, you just have to keep pumping in your infinite lives. So my idea with Castle Kong was to sort of, I wanted to build an arcade cabinet because I don't see people doing that now. Since I've started doing that, I realize a lot of people do that. That's not, (laughs) there's nothing unique about what I'm doing, actually. so, but that being said, I wanted I wanted to build a game that was built off of the rules of of Donkey Kong, but its own unique experience. So everything is familiar, but it's still insanely difficult. Uh, which, by the way, everybody says it's way too hard, and I just I hate you all for, for saying that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just, What's just the
5: average try. game length like on Castle Did Kong? Nobody can get past the, the second tier of the first level. No one can get, there's five... It like, sounds pretty hard. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I don't know, maybe I need to fix it. Uh, but yeah, that's the idea. The idea of Castle Kong was, you know, what if instead of uh, Mario saving a lady from a, you know an evil monkey, it's a pauper saving a princess from an evil baron, right? And he's scaling a castle wall instead of uh, a construction site. But after that, the similarities end. You know, the game mechanics are the same, but the, the, what you're trying to do and how you're accomplishing it ends there, right? And so that's where that was born.
2: So uh, l- let me talk a little bit, or let me ask a little bit about the, about the development of the game. So you know, we heard from Brett, you know, how how he's created his game. How did you create your game? What did you develop it in? And yeah. well, what was the time, you know, time of development and testing, iterating, and, and, and everything like that?
5: Uh, so what you're looking at there is one guy working sparsely for about six months with a little bit of art help, made it in Unity, and then really what the fun part was. So I need to give a plug. Uh, real quick. He he was supposed to be here, but he couldn't make it. His name's Wayne. He has a custom cabinet company called extension or RecRoomMasters.com and I went to him. He's up in Lawrenceville. So I went to him with my hairbrain scheme and I said, would you build me a cabinet that's completely custom and custom art and all that stuff. And I found a girl who uh, is a comic book illustrator and she designed the side of the cabinet for me and all that. So with these three people we built the cabinet. It took about two months to spec it out. Uh, and then the the unit that runs it, this was where it got complicated because you use custom arcade controllers, which is like some stuff that we're seeing here. You can order all that stuff online and route it to a USB controller and then plug that into a computer, but I didn't want a computer running it, so I found these like very simple $200 Android machines that boot straight into Android and then took root access and made it go full screen. So you. So it looks like a, a, a cabinet when it's booting up, you know, like it loads up and then it goes straight into the game. So that's where uh, that's what that's
2: all about. Cool. Well, all right. and it was made in Unity. Unity. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. So, are there any plans, you know, once um, you know, once you look at? you know, I guess kind of, kind of finishing up the game, or doing any kind of uh, you know, polishing that you, that you want to do to it. Are you planning on creating you know, more copies of that game, or is this kind of like a one-and-done scenario?
5: Well, I mean, the, the dream was to get into, into Chuck E. Cheese, but now I think kids are just going to spit all over it. So, <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to play this thing. Uh, no, I mean, the, the, goal, the goal is to, the ideal was to do a, um, like a cross-platform leaderboard. So the idea is that you can't, if you play it on your PC or if you play it on your phone, you can't pause it. And if you do, if you get an incoming call, tough luck, you're not you're not allowed on the leaderboard. <laughs> and the leaderboard would be handled by uh, your Twitter handle. So when you're finished, you put in your Twitter handle and at Castle Kong will tweet at you and let you know that you've, you've achieved like the 15th all-time highest score. So everyone in the world would, who's following Castle Kong would see, oh, this guy just set the all-time high score and they could see your... Twitter handle, which could gain you some followers and stuff like that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the goal is to be completely cross-platform. It, it would be PC, Mac, uh, iOS, Xbox okay. One, all that good stuff.
2: I'm kind of curious, you know, in in the vein that both of you guys have created your games in. I mean, have you been approached by? Know, any of the of the arcade legends that have that have been you know interested in your work? Have you talked to potentially Walter Day? Uh, you know about documenting some of your work or anything along those lines? Because the way I see it is is you know both you guys represent you know what the classic video game scene needs in order to continue this this style of gaming for future generations. I was kind of curious what the industry has has contacted you guys about. Um. I for me, uh, not so much.
4: Uh, okay. But uh, I, I do events like this, and I've had uh, several outside of the, the arcade industry, you know, play the game. We've had like uh, Cliffy B and a, a few other um, developers that you know are behind uh, some of the bigger games with, with Xbox and things like that. Um, play the game, really love the game, and, and we've had you know developers from Sonic at MomoCon came over and played it, and they were you know ecstatic about it and things like that. But okay. you know, we'd we'd love to get some of those guys to play it. And, Walter Day is the guy
5: behind Twin Galaxies, right? Yeah. So yeah, I reached yeah, out to him. It. Yes, I reached out to him. I'm pretty sure he receives email via uh, t- like a carrier pigeon. Uh, first, the email is printed out, then it's rolled up, and then a carrier pigeon delivers it to him because he is incredibly short with his responses and never gets back to you. So I've told him about it, but okay. I, I didn't get any any love from them. But if you, if you could help us out by bringing yeah. our, <laughs> our, our <laughs> bring two all today side is. by side, <laughs> I, have, I have no so. special reach there, but we can, we can try
2: to help. Oh, Those are tough
5: guys to get a hold of. <laughs> but that's fine. I mean, that's fine. I, I did get, I have been getting it into some arcade stuff, so there arcade people have seen it, but, uh, but no like big names. Billy Mitchell, by the way, also could not get past the second tier of the first level. Just just so, if you guys are comparing yourselves right. If you are comparing yourselves against the best, he also
2: could not get past the second floor of the first breaking level. God, what is wrong with everybody? Alright, so. so. So I'm kind of curious what was his critique of your game? What did he say to you? He liked what it. He, liked. he
5: didn't give it too much. Uh, he didn't play it for too long, but I think if he
2: played it, he'd be fine with it. But yeah, he liked it. He liked what he saw. That's that's cool. That's cool. So let's, let's move over a little bit, if you, if you guys don't mind, talk, yeah. and talk about pinball for a few minutes. So uh, Jimmy, I'm kind of curious. Can you talk a little bit about Demolition Man 2000? What some of the inspiration was behind
6: it? You know, time time to develop, and really what you were after? You know, in, in making that game. Sure. So, uh, whenever I initially uh, actually bought the Demolition Man, I got home and realized that it had a lot of problems. There was some battery damage on the board, and uh, kept trying to go into service menu, so I couldn't really even play a, a full game. And uh, I'm a software engineer actually by day, so. I decided, well, I'd like to actually try to program a custom rule set into it and uh, see what I can do there and express a little bit of creativity because everybody, I guess, has a little bit of a pinball designer dream within them. You know, kind of always wondered what their custom game would be like. So I kind of figured, okay, well, let's try that. And uh, I tried the Arduino, um, you know, uh, hacked something together uh, that looked very terrible, looked uh, like something you'd find in a Radio Shack catalog and, and, you know, pieced together from those parts. (laughs) And, you know, several solenoids later, I realized that, all right, I'm probably barking up the wrong tree. And uh, I saw this bald guy kneeling in front of a bunch of pinball machines online one time with a big board in his hand that looked like a WPC thing. And uh, he called himself Jerry Stellenberg and called his company Pinball Controllers and said, hey, I sell this thing. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I called him up on the phone and ordered one of his boards and it got there. And uh, I, I installed it. It goes right in place of the WPC controller, and uh, started within an afternoon, got a, uh, pretty much the game flipping with some basic scoring. Uh, the, the programming language is, is in Python, so I was able to really wire some things up pretty quickly. And I realized, well, there's already somebody out there with a custom demolition man, so that wasn't really unique enough for me. I was, and, you know. The dots were right up my alley, of course, because I can barely draw stick figures, so I figured if I could, you know, limit it to four dot intensities of, you know, horror, then maybe it would be passable. And I realized, okay, well, uh, I'd always wanted a Pinball 2000, so I figured, well, let's make my own. And I had to re-engineer everything, actually. None of the framework was really designed for um, the Pinball 2000 stuff. It was all designed for DMD, so I had to, you know, rewrite some of that. And then it just really became a competition on how much bad 90's action movie footage could I fit into a pinball machine and make it relevant. <laughs> and, and, make it, it, and make it relevant. Exactly, yes. make it relevant we'll to the gameplay, right? Yeah, make it relevant. Exactly, so it's kind of like you know, Sandra Bullock is Sandra Bullock in Movie Name. And you know, so it's like I could have probably pasted clips from Speed and clips from Demolition Man and you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And you know, and then you, know, you get all the Sylvester Stallone quotes in there. And, it was a lot of fun, and uh, it gradually um, grew in complexity. And I, I started coming up with, okay, well, you know, now I've got them laughing. The player is laughing at all of these crazy quotes. Now, how can I piss them off? And then, um, and then I, I, you know, I wrote a mode in that actually uh, inverts the flippers, doesn't reverse them. It inverts them, so you actually have to press the flipper buttons in order to make them go down. So you release the buttons to flip. And generally... Um, <laughs> That's, uh, man, that, I mean, my, my head would explode. Yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. Gosh. And, you know, originally it was actually for just a minimal amount of points. It, it was bad. And uh, I put the audit reports on there, and um, decided, okay, well, how long does the game last once it enters that mode? And As a matter of fact, uh, pretty much 90% of all games ended with that mode. <laughs>
3: it, was it, was, it
6: was straight drains, and it was terrible. And uh, you know, it, it just grew from there. Um, you know, we started doing plays on the characters' names. You know, we got a Simon Says mode in there that, you know, you have to mimic what the screen's doing. And it was, it was a lot of fun. So the game, you know, gradually grew into a fun piece and uh, brought it out to the Atlanta Expo. And uh, with it not being the typical Pinball 2000 uh, design, uh, myself and Matt Kaiser, courtesy of Titan Pinball, uh, had to rewire the entire thing once we got it there <laughs> uh, because the, all the boards were in the hit. And I've got pictures of it, but uh, we're not doing slideshows, apparently, so, uh, just yet. So you have to rewire the whole thing whenever you unload it. So it was, it was pretty interesting. So let me
2: ask you, so how much of Pinball 2000 is actually left inside of that? I, none of it.
3: So, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
6: Zero no, percent? No. Wow. None, none. Uh, you know, it was originally written on uh, you know, using uh, C++ on a CRX muted GX machine designed for set-top boxes actually at the time it was really what it was popular as. Yeah. I realized that a lot of people say like, well, why don't you just tweak the rules to RFM and don't realize, well, I have to completely reinvent everything that I do. Um, you know, and, and the Pinball 2000 stuff, that, it, it was not usable. It was not usable. It was, it was a lot easier just to take an off-the-shelf Linux system uh, by, you know, spend maybe $200 on a basic machine and just, you know, throw a PC in there and, and get it going.
2: Wow. So, so what, what's the reception been to this game? I mean, how, how, do, how do people approach it? What do they say to you about it when they play it? I mean, are, are they confounded or they say, this is so cool or, or what? I mean, what, what's,
6: what have you seen? Well, those who don't get to the inverted flipper mode are generally very receptive of them yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and then yeah. it flips, but it flips yeah. right yeah. after yeah. That. Yeah. They don't they get that, and yes. it's, it's, it's all awarded by chance. So, you know, there's nothing you can really avoid doing it um, yeah. and falling into it. Reception has actually generally been very, very positive. And the thing that I like is uh, I I sat there and watched and, you know, kind of stalked the game at uh, the uh, pin swap last year. And uh, a lot of little kids just love the game. Um, You know, they were able to sit there, bat the ball around, you know, they get the the flashing lights and sounds. And, I mean, it didn't experience a a second of downtime. So the reception in that sense was really positive. And from the the older crowd, they want to know, how can I do that? How can I make it? And, you know, generally I say, well, you know, here's what it's designed. You know, here's all the source code for it. I mean, I'm giving the code <laughs> away. I'm not selling the game or anything like that. I'm just like, here you go. Take yeah, it. bake a Do cake, it. right? Yeah, go, you know, yeah. and check it out, you know. It's been, it's been very, positive.
3: very
2: positive. Okay. I mean, at any point while you were working on it, did you, did you say, man, I, this, is, this is a little bit more than I've thought that it would be and did you think about stopping or changing it
6: midstream or anything like that? I mean what was it like to have to push through all that? Yeah there was a there was a big hiatus because uh, you realized that well you, they don't make Pinball 2000 glass for a wide body. Well, it,
2: it, yeah and, and I was just gonna <laughs> ask you if there was anything left in it. I mean those parts are extremely scarce, extremely valuable right. and I'm sure there's maybe a couple people sitting here going man I wish I could have got those parts. I don't know. Yeah. Right.
6: <laughs> Right, so you know, I had to kind of DIY a lot of things. You yeah. know, the, as a matter of fact, the, the, the head um, you know, was actually the easy part. Uh, again, my, my buddy Matt just said, hey, I'll take care of that. And uh, before I know it, maybe a week later, he said, here's a full Pinball 2000 head that's designed for a wide body. So that took some of the stress off me. Now, I, I felt like giving up many times uh, whenever I was writing software, uh, trying to figure out how to marry the video into the game. And then there was just, again, the creative struggle yeah. Of it's like all right, you know, this is getting monotonous. All right, I'm tired of combos. Yeah, you know, I was like, all right, you know, yeah, 90 combos, and you get this mode. It's like that's that's not fun. So yeah, there was a lot of creative struggle there, and then sometimes you just have to walk away from it for a couple of days and then come back with your batteries recharged. But yeah. yeah, there was plenty of that, plenty of that. But time, time helps.
2: <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, thank you, thank you very thank much. You. So, Paul, before we get into the the esteemed guest that sits over to your far left there. I'm sure, that, I'm sure there's going to be a story behind that and that I'm sure everybody's anxious to hear as well. I mean can you tell us a little bit about your background with the Pins and Vids series and what and, you know I, I know that you've worked on, on several custom games and you're working on some right now, but can you talk a little bit about you know, your, your collecting uh, background and what led you and Al into creating the series and then how that kind of went into the work that you're doing today?
7: Sure. Uh, first, I missed the facial hair memo. I'm feeling a little inadequate. <laughs> I don't. There. Don't worry, dude. Do ah, I did too. I, <laughs> I did too. South,
5: my friend. The beards are in. <laughs> <laughs>
7: um, uh, probably about 10 years ago, I met Al, who's in the back of the room. Yep. And, hey, uh, Al. All, at the, uh, all because of another person in the crowd. James, it's all his fault. Um, Hey,
3: James. (laughs) center (laughs) of the chaos.
7: But I was just getting the pinball bug and decided I wanted a Whitewater. And James happened to have three at his shop that he was closing. And I went there, and Al was looking at an AFM that I thought he was crazy to buy. It seemed expensive to me. I was a newbie. Um, And when Al and I met there, it just kind of kicked off a friendship, and he needed a co-host for it. It was really his idea. He had started it. Um, and he needed somebody else to help him be silly on camera and apparently in underwear on camera. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but, um, and uh, that, the whole series kind of started with that and, and we've done four so far. Uh, the last one um, I Meant to bring some to give away today, but it—it uh, it was actually a full DVD with a case. We had the first three were all for the Hall of Fame. We wanted to give back to the Pinball Hall of Fame, and he sold them, and all the money went to the building fund. Okay. And so that—that kind of got me into the—the—the the, the video and the pins and vids side. And as my collection started growing, I started. I'm, I'm a computer guy like Jimmy. I'm a programmer, and. Last year at the pin swap, we were playing NASCAR in the tournament and Donnie White from Florida, some of you guys may know him, he made some comment about, this would be a much better game if it was Talladega Nights themed. Okay. And I'm not a huge NASCAR fan, I may get booed for that, but I thought this would be great, a Will Ferrell pin, that, that makes perfect sense and I started looking into how I could make that happen. And I think I had known Jimmy about that time, and he was telling me about the p rock boards. Okay. So within a week, I bought a P-Rock board, and with the assistance of Jimmy, had it flipping with minimal amount of effort. It was amazing how quick you could put the board in there, have it flipping and scoring um, with very minimal effort. And so that kind of kicked off uh, the programming bug, and from that, I had enough uh, confidence, I guess, um, to take on a slightly bigger project, which okay. we'll talk about in a little bit. Okay, it sounds good. Now,
2: as far as the whole Talladega Nights project, I where, where does that sit right now? I mean, are you still working on it? Do you have Will Ferrell doing the call outs? Kind of uh, where does that sit? Because that would be awesome. Well, he was actually
7: that. filming Anchorman Two in Atlanta, and I'm like, I should go down there and see if uh, see if he'd be interested in something like this. And then I hear he doesn't like talking to anybody. <laughs> so, uh, um, but. Partially into the project. I had some lamp shows. It was flipping, yeah. and then I had an opportunity to work on the next project. So Talladega Nights, I have a video that we can show of the attract mode and a few things like that. Talladega Nights kind of got paused, and we started the next project. Eventually, I'll get back to it. I want to finish Talladega Nights. I I bought the NASCAR machine solely for that purpose, okay. um, so it we're, we're going to finish it, um, hopefully, in the next... Year or so. I'm okay. Yeah. Cool. And we'll
2: we'll talk about talk about your next project here in just a little bit. One, want, want to give the audience some time for some questions here in a few minutes, and then we can kind of delve into that because you've got a whole setup over there, and I want to make sure you got some time to time to talk through that. So, just uh, just out of curiosity, any of you guys, you know, feel free to answer. So, what 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 do you all think is? Is, is going to be next for the the boutique I guess kind of the, the boutique industry on games and you know custom games and things like that how, how does it break out and become more mainstream I and mean, we have you guys uh, looked at you know uh, investors or anything along those lines to help take things to the next level or is this all just something that you just want to do out of the love for the game all right uh, well I think
5: to be completely fair about what we're doing I think that it's dead, I, I think that arcades are dead, and uh, you don't, you don't no, want to... No, 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 really <laughs> I, I, I'm not trying to be mean, they're all. They'll always have a place, like, you'll always see stuff in Chuck E. Cheese, Dave & Buster's, yeah. there is There is that thing, it's still around, but as a, as a business model, it's dead, and I think when you make an arcade, like what we're doing, like Default Dan, and what you're doing as a custom table, what you're really doing is, you're doing it for the love, and then when, people catch on to that, then you can monetize it in a different way, and that's how you have to approach making something like this. I wouldn't, I, I cannot be making Castle Kong as my business model. The business model cannot be to make arcades. It's, yeah. it's just, it's so complicated and without, you know, you gotta sell it for four times the cost just in case parts break. And then you got to ship them the parts, and then somebody has to fix it. These aren't the 80s where the markups were so huge. Because a five thousand dollar machine in the 80s, I think they cost ten, right, back in
2: the day. I I, oh, like I, don't, new, I mean, I don't I've seen bill of sales on some machines, yeah. like on some home use only machines, and the prices will range from 20. And, and this is arcade games from yeah, they twenty five hundred dollars up to thirty five or four somewhere yeah. right in there. So I
5: mean, that money, think of that as like twenty to fifty grand today. Think about like to sell one game was like twenty to fifty thousand dollars in revenue.
3: Yeah. So you got a lot of
5: you can hire mechanics on that revenue. There's all there's arcades all over the place. You really you want to be making stuff like this because you love it. And then when that catches fire, as so often indie efforts like what we do uh, do. And I think you've actually got caught a little bit of fire with default dance. So like he's got he caught fire already. The arcade is just sort of like the the icing on top. You know that's how I view it. And uh, I mean that in the nicest way i don't you know I, I think we all, we're all here because we love arcades, but as a business yeah. model it's it's just not a thing that you can continue
2: yeah so so what, what uh, you know for, for you guys uh, on the, on the video side what, what's your next project? What, what do you guys do next
4: um, I, I guess with with mine and, and I guess the difference with with default Dan specific to maybe Castle Kong that was originally thought of in, in an arcade box. Um, with ours, you know, we're, we're going to try to put it everywhere, and then we'll, you know, we've got five or six other games that we've, you know, played around with and thought about, and uh, we'll, we'll move on to, to one of those, but, um, you know, as he was saying with the, the business model, I mean, we're really shooting for some of the outside the arcades, and, and honestly, our box we built this week um, for mm-hmm. the event specifically. Yeah. And so now we can you know, take that to more events so people can see it. It, it helps with nest, you know, nostalgia and things like that. And you know, actually what's, what's funny is when we do take it, just even in a PC, you know, for all the other retro console gamers, we have a NES uh, USB controller, which brings back the you know the Mario thoughts when you're playing and things like that. So, you know, it's definitely there. There definitely is something out there, and there'll be that one person that wants this cabinet in their house. <laughs> but uh, to have to pay. <laughs> but but to the point of like really being able to go to the arcade down the street to put it in. I mean, you're limited, and and it is good that there is a resurgence. So yeah. places like joystick yeah. and and some of those that are specific to that. You know, there there's places like that, but again, with something like that, they're not probably going to pay you ten thousand dollars. Yeah, they're not. They're not. Not only are they not, but they make
5: all their money on the beer. I mean, let's be let's be honest. Like that's they. It's a. It's a catch to get people to come in and hang out. It's yeah. not the reason people are there. Yeah. So people don't play the games there. I mean, they do, but I've been there many, many, many nights and I watch what people do and they don't really play the games. Yeah. Is that why they sell beer at Chuck E. Cheese? Yeah, probably. So that's for the hotels, <laughs> yeah. right? And there was a
2: day when that did happen. Yeah. Yeah. There was a day. Uh, Jimmy, I'm kind of curious. Thank, thank you, sir. So, Jimmy, I'm kind of curious. What, what's what's your next project? I mean, when you look at the time involved for for Demolition Man 2000, I mean, are you, you know, are you looking at using that same platform for your ne- you know, Pinball 2000 for your next project, or you say, been there, done that, kind of set that off to the side? Now, here's what I set my sights on going forward.
6: Well, you know, it, it balloons, right? People yep. find out what you're doing, and then they kind of want your time. And um, you know, so so with that, you know, since Demolition Man 2000, which was uh, almost uh, uh, two years ago, uh, whenever I started on it, um, you know, I did the uh, the basic operating system for the P3 by Multimorphic, which uh, is you know the interchangeable inter- infrared grid tracking system. It's really cool. Uh, check it out. You know, plug. Uh, and then, um, <laughs> plug. Uh, yeah, right. And then, uh, and then I, I contributed to you know Cactus scanning continued. I did the operating system for uh, Predator uh, for that game. Um, did those and then. Uh, now it's ballooning into, I'm probably going to do another Pinball 2000. Um, I'm working on the CAD files right now for Wizard Blocks. And um, oh, okay. I've already gotten uh, pretty much a lot of the play field artwork vectorized. Uh, into a format where I can use it, and just doing a uh, a prototype of that, and a lot of times it turns into a me thing, yeah. Which then you know grows from there, right? So uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. It's it's something I'm familiar with, and it will use much the same platform because that's the only way you can really hit the cost margin, right? Yeah. It's like it, it doesn't make sense to reinvent the wheel if you have something that works.
2: Well, now you mentioned you know vectorizing some of the artwork and play field and things like that, and I'm I'm curious from from any of you guys that, that would want to answer this. Can you speak to the crowd? Can you speak to the audience as to what it take What skill sets do you need? To get into developing your own game, it, whether it be you know vectorizing artwork, uh, learning how to code, what what should you learn to code in? What what's some of the basic tool sets that you guys kind of accumulated for yourselves in getting started in doing this? And uh, I I just think it's neat that you can take something and create and you know roll it all around and create something completely different. It's hard to do without without having some basis.
7: The, the cool part is there's a lot of free tools out there that can help you along the way okay um, and even if they're not free there's like you don't have to own a 3d printer like all of these were printed on a, a replicator 2 which they have one in the other room. But you don't have to even own one to make something. You can always, there, there's online places like Shapeways that you can send them a model and, you know, in a few days you'll have it in your inbox.
2: Okay. What, what do you create the model in, Paul? I mean, what, what piece of software do you use?
7: Well, I don't have the skills to do a lot. Oh, okay. I, like, I can do a okay. little stick man and that's about it. <laughs> but um, we have some people on our team that are great in SolidWorks. Okay. Um, there's right. free drafting program like Playfields. If you're doing a Playfield, um, you don't have to buy AutoCAD. Okay. You can, uh, there's something called DraftSite, which is free, um, that can generate the files. And you don't have to have a CNC machine. You can find a local maker shop uh, or a maker space that might be around here where everybody shares tools. Or, or there are places, um, I think it's like 100K garages, yeah. uh, which you can find somebody local to you that'll you know, let you use their machine for a small amount of money. Yeah. Um, the, where I have a problem myself is I want to try and do everything myself. Yeah, and that gets me into trouble
2: often. Yeah. Takes a long time
7: too. Yes, and yeah. so um, one piece of advice I would have is don't try and do it all yourself. Um, is find other people who are that are either doing similar things or can help you along the way. Um, I've been fortunate enough to know Charlie from Spooky Pinball, who's doing the America's Most Haunted America's game. America's Most Haunted, yes, yeah. And uh, he helped us in our latest project because I I don't have the skills to. Uh, CNC and clear coat a play field and um, one of the reasons he started Spooky Pinball was to help other people like us who are building their own games whether it's one game or a thousand games they ultimately want to build yeah um, and so I've been fortunate enough to have people that were willing to help for uh, uh, for reasonable amounts of money to to help me get past the stuff that I just couldn't do on my own.
2: Yeah. Uh, Well, Jimmy, I'm kind of curious on on your side. You'd mentioned doing a lot of development in Python and things like that. So what, I mean, how did you you learn, you know, what did you use to learn that? and, And what are some of the tool sets that you use on your project?
6: Um, well, so I'd, I'd learned how to program uh, at a pretty young age. Um, okay. You know, in the, in the in the late '90s, it was about when I was about 12 years old. I started learning, you know, various scripting languages. Yeah. And uh, so that kind of bred into, obviously, eventually becoming, um, you know, deciding to make that a career. And um, whenever I had uh, picked up the the P Rock, actually, uh, that stuff was all done in Python. Okay. Um, I mean, technically, you can do you can use anything. You can control it with an Arduino if you want. Um, the Python framework was already out there, and all I really had to do was make a blueprint for my rules and uh, just, you know, script it up. And, and you know, it's like a single line, and you can all of a sudden cue off a light show or you know, fire a coil. So uh, the learning curve wasn't actually that big, and they had some uh, tools that I could already go in and use and turn my. If I was doing a dot matrix game turn my um, movie clips into DMD animations and all of a sudden you'd see them right there in your dot your matrix screen. So, it was really minimal investment, Okay. Um, you know, as far as the, uh, the, the, the programming aspect of it. And as far as the hardware engineering aspect of it, you just drop it in, you set a couple dip switches and to tell it what type of system, if it's a Stern or a uh, Williams, and it, it goes and does its thing. Um, yeah. and, and even some yeah. of the big projects with
7: P-Rock they weren't developers originally.
6: No, so yeah, actually, that's that's a good point, right? Like, so Cactus Canyon continued. A lot of a lot of folks have uh, kind of seen that online. You know, mm-hmm. the the color dot matrix for it, and uh, uh, you know, kind of how much it adds to the game. Uh, the author, the author uh, Eric Creepkey was not a software guy at all. Uh, actually, was pretty much a, he was a systems guy. So okay. he was able to go in and kind of with a Python book, you know, <laughs> kind of learn how to you know put it all together. And then all paste, of a sudden, copy paste, copy paste, uh, yeah, yeah, and, and, a, and a lot of gray hair later. I mean, yeah. a lot of gray hair later you know he was able to really uh come up with a polished game yeah you know so i mean it really didn't require that much just uh persistence is the biggest asset you need
3: (laughs) and
7: and there's a great community around some of these boards i mean the p community is incredible i mean jimmy's part of it it's the reason i've used it on projects is that the the support everybody helps each other and they figure out something new a a different way instead of using the uh, dmd how to use you know HD video and and everybody learns and uses little pieces here and there and it's just uh, if you try and go at it as a lone soldier it, it'll drive you nuts yeah I'm sure now so. Josh and Britt
2: how about you guys what, what, what's your tool set look like and, and how did you get how'd you get started how'd you get started with this for I see a couple of children out here in the audience and I think it'd just be neat to know how do you how do you create a video game from scratch or what do you use uh, well
5: first of all kids yeah. Don't make me say when I was your age. <laughs> because when I was 13, that's when I started making games when I was 13, and uh, you had to write your own bitmap handler to draw stuff to the screen. So, you know, life t- times have changed. Yeah. Ridiculous. It's absolutely insane. If you really want to make a game, down- I mean, everybody's got a tool of choice. You're talking about Game Maker. There's a couple other, Game Salad and stuff. But, you know, download Unity, download whatever. Get a visual scripting tool. You don't even need to learn to code. It's absolutely incredible what people are doing. And they're doing it for nothing. You can get uh, assets, like the Unity asset store, you can get a whole world of assets to build a game for like 10 (laughs) bucks and just make it, you know, just make something for fun because that's that's where it all comes from anyways. It all comes from the heart. So, you know, you start with that. Uh, You start with these tools like Unity and... uh, and these visual scripting tools and just go from there. And then when when you catch something, people will notice and then you'll get the money that you need to turn it into something professional if that's what you want to do with it. But that's what I would
4: say, yeah. Yeah, and and I would totally agree on that. I mean, you know, growing up, I always wanted to build video games, um, but I never really went down that path. Uh, As I went into college, school and things like that, you know, I I stayed more with uh, websites, IT, um, less on the video games just because kind of looking At it from at that time, it was like, all right, well, if you want to do video games, you have to be on one of these huge companies, you know, that are producing Halo or whatever. Um, But then, probably in the last year or two, I mean, it's been this huge boom of the indies, and really with that, I mean, people are finding these tools. Like Game Maker has several different editions, but they have a free edition that you can download and and play with. Um, And there's Game was another one. Unity is free. And so you know these guys are just downloading these programs, learning it. Um, you know, as far as the way we we started and the team was formed, we went to a game jam. So I, I heard about the game jam and I was like, "Yeah, this is pretty cool." And it even said, you know, you don't have to be a coder, you don't have to be an artist; just come in, find a team. Um, that's kind of where I found myself of being okay. like, "Hey, I can I can design. I have ideas." And met up with one guy who could code really really well. Met up with one guy who could do some art, and that's where it started. You know, and we see more and more people coming out of those. Uh, you know, with that that excitement, and that's really what you need is the excitement for building something you want to build.
2: Yeah. Okay. It's well, it, it's 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 really it's really good because you guys you, you take the initiative and you pour a lot of a lot of I think what we see is you know love for nostalgia back into these these modern tools and create the types of games whether it be pinball or, or video arcade. That, that keep us interested for another 20 or 30 years. I mean, we, we're all still playing pinball and still playing Donkey Kong and Pac-Man for a reason. Yeah. The games have got that, the, the game that type of game has got its draw. Right. Yeah, it yeah. really does. So, Paul, you've got Animal sitting over to your left. And before we get into that, because I know there's a story here with Animal, here and, and we talk a little bit about some of the props and some of the, uh, some, some of the play field items that you've got sitting in front of you. I want to take a few minutes and, and open, uh, open uh, some questions and, and answer sessions up to the audience. If you guys have got any, anything you want to ask these gentlemen here about doing game design or doing development or anything, just uh, if you don't mind just go ahead and walk up here to this wireless mic and, uh, and we'll certainly cover it. Anybody too easy. See, I, I
1: actually
4: have one question too. for the guys over there. So oh, yeah. we do we do yeah. arcades and, and they do pinballs, but another question was asked. Are we supposed to of, hate each other by the way? <laughs> yeah, <it was> like, <laughs> is there a rivalry? I, <laughs> so so we had the question asked earlier of like, you know, where did we see the arcades and you know, were we building these for to put them out for money and things. And I know our, our world's a little different. We yeah. can build a video game, we can put it in, you know, the the indie store and, and see what happens. But as far as pinball, I mean, like, where do y'all see it? I know you're building these all day, so there has to be somewhere you're selling these or doing something with them. But what does your world look like compared to ours?
7: Well, you know, pinball is better in person, physical. It's a physical game. And, you know, I think you guys have a great option of going the app route and doing things like that, that people yeah. can play in other games. Huge difference,
2: and, isn't it? Yeah. And
7: while Pinball has the Pinball Arcade, which is light years ahead of anything that was out there before in a, a virtual format, um, for us, physical is the only way to go. Yeah. And and I do think there's a little bit of an upswing now on, you know, you see it with the boutique games. Um, you know, the, the P3, the, that whole game, it takes it completely uh, light years ahead of where it is. And then you have people doing retro style games. I mean, they even remade, uh, what was it, King? Uh, uh, it was an EM game that they built extras of and sold, I don't know, five or 10 years ago. And I think it's more of a, well, I think on location they can maybe still work. I think it's more of a collector's, a, a uh, home market. And I, I, I even think Stern at some point thinks that that's where, I mean, I don't know what percentage comes from home buyers, but I bought a new unboxed game, and and I try and play wherever I see them, but you don't see them very often out no, there. You don't. And I, I think there's more availability now of pinball machines. There's more, these boutique ones going out, on, and who knows if there'll be 50 or 100 or 1,000 of these boutique games that get made, but I, I think it's, I, th- I love that it's feeling like it's at least growing. I don't know if it'll continue that way or not, but um, it just it has to be more physical for this for some reason. Yeah. Well, everybody knows where what, she's. What saying.
5: are your thoughts on Zen pinball? How do you feel? Zen, I've never
7: I played it, so You've I never can play uh, it. All
3: right.
5: What about? They have these tables now that's like a, a screen, right? What, what do pinball people like, feel like about vir- like, like virtual pinball? Virtual pinball, pinball yes. with with actual physical buttons, right? Yeah.
7: Yeah. My whole problem the is thing? the delay and the buttons from the time yes. you hit that button. Now, once you get used to it you can play a virtual pinball fine, and then you go back to a real game and you're screwed yeah. until you yeah. get used to that. Yeah. But it's, you know, they play they have their place if you can't own a pin for space or monetary reasons. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you how many people I've seen with just Pinball Arcade. Uh, I even own Pinball, I buy every game on Pinball Arcade because I want to support both the video game and the pinball side. And, and it's, it's good to learn the rules if you play competitively, you can sort of do that in a virtual manner. Um, if you don't own the game and and but yeah the, from the the transfer from the buttons to the actual um, you know virtual world is difficult for me to to get used to
2: Yeah, one of the things that that's that i've noticed in playing the virtual pinball machines it's it's the depth of the play field it's not there and and because the entire screen is flat you almost have to envision the depth just based upon how you see everything all the playfield artifacts kind of stacked on top of each other and the resolution of the screens, I mean they're, they're very big screens, but it, it you just don't get the resolution, the playfield just doesn't look sharp, you know, not, not at all like you would hope that it would in order to, to be that way, so, but yes sir we've got a question over here.
8: Well, I don't know if this is on, no, it is yeah. Um, so, my name is Troy, my partner over here is Paul. This is our first uh, expo that we've been to. We actually have a custom table uh, on the floor, chameleon pinball. And uh, cool. it's along the same lines as to what you all are discussing right now. So our big question is, now that we have a prototype, we've got a working model, and we want to take it to the next step, uh, where do we go? And, you know, it's, it's one thing to have it as a hobby, but how do you make it a business? And I'm I'm hearing some ideas, but I'm not really hearing a lot of tangible things. Now, I drove to this point uh, yesterday, had an opportunity to talk to Barry uh, Auerstler Mm -hmm. uh, afterwards, and I asked him the same question. Given where Stern is, you know, enterprise license, corporation, you know, major um, funding or licensing done through corporations, how do you get back to where he was, where he was imagining what a pinball could be. He had you know, a series of cyclones and pinbots and things of that nature. And he said he feels that the interest is there, and you just need to go ahead and, and do it, and, and, and go ahead and just go with what your vision is and take it forward from there. But he really didn't say where there was. And so I was trying to see if you guys could help you know, brainstorm or give us some, some more ideas, since you've been in it a little longer than we have, it sounds like. As to you know, how do we take it to the next level? How do we move it beyond a hobby into a business? So does does anybody have any suggestions, recommendations, ideas along that line? Okay, so
6: first, okay, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, so you know, the the first question is, okay, do you want to turn your hobby into a business um, and, and realize the ramifications therein, right? Um, and second off, if you decide to, to plow right through that, and then and, and you know, say you want to go, go at it. Um, I've seen your system, actually, and it looks really, really good, so my my recommendation there is uh, innovate as much as you can. Um, Push the limits of your architecture. I mean, and and if you're taking it to an expo and it doesn't have any bugs, you've demoed too late. And, uh, I mean, really, that's generally the rule, right? I mean, you know, ship and ship often, right? Uh, You see a lot of people, even in the industry, they're still trying to put out four games a year. just trying to keep the interest there. Now um, obviously try to come up with a business model to where you can probably remain bootstrapped as much as possible because VCs get used to the word no right Um, you know and you will go through 50 VCs before you probably hit one that says yes Um, and you know always eat the free food that they offer because they're not (laughs) going to say yes to you or no to you regardless uh, you know based on your demeanor there. And again, you know, try to come up with a hook, right? You're already operating in a niche market. Uh, You know, it's really, really tough, uh, really, really tough sell, so come up with things that either, even if it's nostalgia, right? You could be producing EMs and still find a market there if you find people that want to preserve that section. If you can, of course, sell to a VC that, you know, they're going to be able to turn enough units to, you know, they have a wide enough market to to make some profit off of. But, uh, you know, drive, you know, drive. And, you know, bootstrap yourself as much as you can until you find, you know, capital. And um, don't give up on it, right? You know, because you, you'll go through the trough of sorrow of entrepreneurship, and then you know, you'll find a niche market, and you'll, you'll find your place. You know, average ROI is going to be at least two years.
7: Yeah, you know, and when I look at the people building games now, what seems to take the longest and they struggle with most is the manufacturing, the assembly line. Right. My advice is, like, I've consciously decided I don't want to build an assembly line. No. I'll build some prototypes, we'll build some samples, but I'm going to have somebody else build it and And luckily, you have people like Charlie from spooky Pinball who has he part of his business is to help others and you may want to talk to him about um, would would he be interested in partnering with you guys to do an actual run of x number of them? but you know everybody even no matter how big they are, they seem to struggle with okay, building them either they can't build them fast enough or they take a long time to actually create their assembly line. I wouldn't try and recreate that side of it. I would make your game the best you can, and find somebody else to partner with to build them. Yep. Yeah. That oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
5: Here. I was just going to say that everybody's story, when it comes to this kind of stuff, mimic is mimicked. I mean, you go, you gotta go knock down a million doors. I mean, nobody can. T- the reason why nobody can tell you how to do it is because nobody knows how to do it. Yeah. Even the people who did it can't even look back and figure out how they did it. It's so. It's so hard. And It just requires being out there, and a million people seeing your thing, and then finally somebody goes, "That's the thing I want to push." You know, so like my suggestion, even though it's a completely different market that I know nothing about, but it's yet all markets are the same. You know, you got to get to the place where there's a lot of people like an E3. You know, you got to spend the money to get there, put your product where people can see it, and 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 push and sell you as well as the product to people who matter, you know what I mean? And that's just how it is for everybody. Everybody has to deal with that.
4: Yeah, and and I would follow that up with, even like with our game, Um, it kind of blew up on YouTube, it's 10 million plus views, things like that, but really what it was, was just coming to events like this, we got it in the hand of the one person that said, hey I'll do a review, they got 300,000, 400,000 views, which then led to one guy putting up one video that got 7 million views and then from there it just blew up. So yeah. it's kind of like, it's just finding that one person that loves your game and then from there them telling somebody who tells somebody and then it just goes from there and that's really the big thing. And be prepared to fail. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yes.
2: Yeah. Okay, any further questions? Yes, sir. Okay. I've
1: got a, a quick one for the video guys. You, you brought up a really good point earlier that the, uh, the classic games, what really makes them great is the uh, the the game engine. And somebody's not the control, so you think about a game like Robotron and how two joysticks can make a a really complex but really good game. Do you guys ever think about going back to uh, some of the Eugene Jarvis creations or uh, things like that and kind of riffing on that stuff or uh,
5: Can you give me an example? I'm sorry. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Uh, only 35.
4: Oh. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm I'm glad
8: you asked because I'm only 27. (laughs) He has no idea. So a couple examples like. Tempest with a spinner. Okay, okay yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Another yeah. one is Major Havoc. Love those, those roller games. controller.
5: Yeah, those are my favorites. The, uh, the vector based the... stuff too. Yeah, you know, like Battlezone and things like that. I would love to do that, man. It's I'm one guy working in my not technically a garage, my office, but I'm one guy, and I've got five projects I'm working on that I work on whenever I have free time. So, that yeah. that would be so much fun and doable. Actually doable today because because those parts all exist. You can buy them from uh, Sanwa. You can buy them from X Arcade, even though they're the worst company in the world. Don't buy from them, but uh, you can buy them from them. But don't. Uh, but you know all those parts exist, and and all of the feedback. You know when it's piped through the USB, is straight up analogs or digital feet whatever you need to do that stuff. So I that would be a lot of fun. I. I'm, I would definitely brainstorm on that topic. What do you think about
4: that? Yeah, I, I would agree. And even when you take it outside of arcades and you go to just even some of the mobile stuff, I'm seeing more of the two stick shooters mm-hmm. where the sticks are on the screen. Um, you know, people, you have that whole touch screen kind of thing to where people can do some of the, um, you know, the dials and, and, and two buttons, things like that. Uh, you know, one a lot of people ask us like, how does your game actually translate on a you know a mobile device? And it is a little different when you're looking into that world. Uh, but essentially, we took away one of the buttons. We took away the run button. Um, we give you the gradual Mario run, so it it's it feels really good, so we just give you a left-right and a jump on one side. It works really well. There's another game we played around with for a while with the two-stick uh, shooter kind of game. Works very well, so it's definitely one of those that when you start bringing back the nostalgia, even with the way it looks, I'm seeing more and more games yeah. that are coming out like 8-bit, 16-bit, and and they're, you know, blowing up. I mean, Minecraft definitely is probably the biggest one example you could show, but I'm seeing RPGs even like that, and people are like, oh yeah, this reminds me of, you know, the original Final Fantasy or, you know, so some of those, and and it's definitely, I think nostalgia is one thing if you can capture. Two things though,
5: there is is a vector-based plugin for Unity, which Mm -hmm. I have, it's really cool. But the other thing is, just to speak specifically to Tempest and Battlezone, you can't do that anymore because of the way those monitors were designed. So you can't actually get that incredible Crisp. vector. It's, it's, yes. incre- it's so beautiful. It's it's hard to describe what it is I'm looking at when I look at it. But they don't make uh, displays like that anymore. So you'll never truly be able to replicate that look. But you can do things that mimic the look.
8: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and thank you guys for the question. So I, I mean, our time has just really flown here. So we've got about. Ten minutes or so left. So, uh, if if Paul and and, and Jimmy, if you guys don't mind, just to talk a little bit about some of the equipment and some of the things that we're seeing down here on the table. Curious to hear the the story behind animals sitting in the chair there as well. And uh, it'd be really good just, just to kind of give
6: the audience a run through on what you guys have brought and why you've brought it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, so some of the equipment, uh, really quickly, uh, sitting in front of me, I have a, a couple of uh, prototype boards and then, uh, of course, the, uh, the, the P3 system's been on the market for uh, about five years. Um, as a matter of fact, this is the, uh, the, the pretty much the P3 rock. It replaces your, WPC, or your actual uh, CPU, actually, in your game, um, and uh, connects to a chain of serial boards, very low footprint. Um, and then we have, again, you know, the switch matrix controller. This this controls your entire 8x8 matrix. Um, I don't get a paycheck, by the way, for any of this. So, I mean, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, and then you have your driver boards. Now these, uh, again, you can control uh, 16 drivers off of these. You can do lamp matrices, you can do, um, coils uh, as a matter of fact and you'll notice that it's got an extremely small footprint so it's designed to be mounted near where the assemblies are located to prevent long wire runs Um, and again it's all like two wire and you uh, chain them together yeah you chain them
7: yeah if you have another crazy idea and you need another couple coils or another couple switches you just pop another board into the system so you can be as crazy as you want to be practically and and not run out of of uh, bandwidth to do it basically yeah and if you duct tape all of those together You get this, (laughs) and
6: uh, I I think I think Ben Heck would be okay with me saying that. Uh, Yeah. So, um, and then, as a matter of fact, this is uh, pretty much the system on a board here. This is the Ben Heck uh, or the Pin Heck board, I believe. It's actually Uh, the Pin Heck board. Yeah, the Pin Heck board. This is what's actually the brains behind America's Most Haunted, uh, those types of games, and uh, it's uh, it's it's coming out uh, here pretty quickly. And again, it's everything on one board, so if you're okay with the longer wire runs, you have a simpler game uh, without as much, you know, uh, as many mechanics or, or, you know, a fairly decent size switch matrix, you can connect all to this board. And this mounts back in the Mac box, uh, similar to the configuration that you're used to.
7: And... And uh, so I have a few, i talked about 3D printers. We use those to build, these aren't uh, pinball parts. I've printed flippers, I've printed star posts. I uh, wanted to joke around at one point. I'm like, I'm going to put Rick out of business and put a little star post out there. But that took 45 minutes to print. There's no way you can make large volumes of stuff. So it's great for prototyping. Um, One of the things we did is uh, with the play fields, uh, we'll we'll talk about Animal here. Animal, this was, for those of you that were at Louisville or um, the Ohio show, Python, Angelo, who did uh, Pinbot and Bride of Pinbot with both of the designers that are here, uh, this was in the background of all of his Skype talks and um, he's now, he goes to shows with James and I, he's, he's our little traveling companion and, and the tie-in is um, I was fortunate enough to become good friends with Python and the game that always got away from him was Pinball Circus. It was a game he always wanted to see made and um, over the last year or so, I was fortunate enough to to work together with, and be part of a team that is going to make Pinball Circus a reality for Python. And so these play fields, the play field you see here, is, is actually the first assembled mini play field from Pinball Circus. This wow. is the clown uh, back box uh, game, and it is the most densely packed mini play field I have ever touched. Um, but And these are some of the other small play fields. And like I mentioned before, I didn't have the skills to do these myself. It took a team of, of uh, you know, seven of us to put everything together to get these done. And Python was fortunate enough to see all of this before he left us. And in fact, Charlie, uh, Python ended up in the hospital in January. And three days before I got up there, he was nearly catatonic. And John Trudeau, Greg Ferris, and um, Steve Ritchie, I believe, showed up. And it was like a light switch. There was Python again. And two days later, Charlie drove these down. We weren't sure Python was going to get out of the hospital. And we wanted to make sure Python saw these play fields. And Charlie from Spooky uh, drove them down, physically delivered them with Ben Heck. Uh, they're both great wow. Python fans. Yeah. And I got a photo in the slide deck of, of Python holding all of these. And that day he was also discharged from the hospital and went home to his apartment. He declared it one of the best days of his life. And that's why we're doing this. It was a passion of Pythons. It's a passion of James and I and the rest of the team. And uh, we're in the middle of building the two Whitewoods now.
2: Okay. Hey, can, you, can you speak any to some of the, the research that you guys have, have done in order to finish the game uh, from, from Python's original vision? I, what what, what has been required to take Python's vision and get it to the point to where it is today and to, and to actually
7: finish the game? So I, I feel like part archaeologist and part psychologist going through this whole process. <laughs> um, so part of it was I, I, I had to learn as much as I could about the game. And, and I didn't have, I, I never touched one originally when the started. But I knew that there were things that Python intended for the game that we're taking out. Uh, one of them is the snake. So this is one of the original snake plastics. And if you've ever played Pinball Circus either at the Hall of Fame or at one of the events that it's come to, the flippers were kind of off, off-kilt. They weren't in a normal position. Yeah, they were offset. Yeah. yeah. And, and the best that I can tell is the prototypes were built after Python left to go to Capcom. And you can see that in, you know, part of the ar- archeologist part was, we can see the changes in the drawings. Um, where the initials, so every change had the initials of the designer and the date that the, the revision was made. And it was PVA, PVA, Python, Vladimir, Angelo. you kept seeing that. Yeah. And then you saw Steve Kordak's initials. And that was a year after Python had left to go to Capcom at that point. Okay. So we're, we're about ready to find out if they took this out for monetary reasons or because shots didn't work. And, but the snake was supposed to be in between the two flippers and the player could control it. With well, Python wanted it to be a pelvic switch. He wanted you to give it a little,
2: um, <laughs> give it a little uh, nudge,
7: <laughs> um, and uh, I'm still trying to figure out the mechanics of that. But um, <laughs> uh, so we're, we intend to. Uh, we, we were fortunate enough to spend large amounts of time with Python, and he went through every aspect of the game and has entrusted us enough. He gave us the framework, and he said, "Here, you guys." Take it the rest of the way, and and we're doing this for Python. Uh, our intentions—we're building the two White Woods. We're going to build 12 sample games, and our intentions are to hopefully put this in production after that point. Um, we're in discussions of of anybody. There, there's some discrepancies on who might actually own the rights. Okay, but we're talking to everybody. It's going well. We we do think it's going to happen.
2: Any kind of any kind of I guess ETA that you would that you could feel comfortable sharing. I mean, what 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 do you think the audience could expect from a timeline perspective before they see before they see this finished?
7: Well, I guess I'm going to throw out a date now just to make me try and meet it. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. So, uh, I'd like to have it flipping and bring it to X, Chicago Expo this year.
3: Oh, it's yeah, um, that's it soon. won't be
7: complete, but I'd like yeah. to bring the Whitewood and, okay. and show it off there, and um, and and go from there. It's it's a passion project for all of us involved yes. in it, and, and there, are, there are many of us involved. It's, um, we're fortunate enough to have a great engineer that's, that's working with us. Um, he helped us get all of these play fields, because um, the files to these did, we couldn't find, they didn't exist. We're not sure where the, the CAD files are, so we had to recreate all of this okay. from measurements, from other drawings we had, and. Um, and it's been truly a team effort to get to where we are, and that's what it'll take to get to the finish line.
2: Well, this will be a project worth watching, and it's something to see unfold, because the sheer fact that this is going to make it into existence says volumes. It really does. For Python and for you guys. So, yeah. So, thank you for for everything that you guys are doing. So, I'm sorry that we've ran over a little bit of time, but I mean, this discussion has been wonderful. Are are there any closing questions before we go ahead and let these guys go? You
3: you can see uh, Pinball Circus on
7: YouTube. Yeah, if you've never seen the game, it's a it's not a traditional pinball game by any means and and python always said that's what scared williams and why it was never made is it was very it's in a more arcade cabinet if you can picture a terminator 2 one of those gun games it's in a cabinet similar size to that that's been slightly modified and it's got it's got five pieces of wood in it that all have the ball interact with it it's got basically five play fields on multiple levels it's, and, and it, it, it's one of the if you ever get a chance to play the original one at the Hall of Fame, you know definitely play it. it there are some differences, like you know the snake we're going to put in there. Um, there were things in the way Python wanted it to work that got taken out for various reasons in the prototype, and we're we're planning to put all those back in and be able to show people this is what Python envisioned this game to be, um, and and take it everywhere we can so that people can experience that.
2: Yeah. Well, guys, thank you all for your time today. We really appreciate it. Let's get let's give all these guys a round of applause. Yeah, thank you, guys. Appreciate it.
0: Congratulations! You made it to the end of another episode of the Broken Token Podcast. I promise they'll do better next time. Maybe next episode they'll actually listen to me for a change. Just go easy on the guys. They don't have a lot to work with. But I know their moms would be so proud. We want to hear your feedback, comments, rants, raves, and otherwise, both good and bad. Drop us a line via email at podcast at brokentoken.com. You can also call us at four seven zero two call bt That's 470-222-5528. And leave us a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you and we might play your message on air in the next episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broken Token and like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Broken Token blog. Britt and Whitney are always posting content between the official episodes and it's a great way to stay involved with the show between the shows. You can find our podcast on the iTunes store and on Stitcher Radio. Just search for Broken Token and subscribe to the show. Like what you hear? Please consider leaving us a review on the iTunes store and on our Stitcher Radio page as the reviews help out the show. Please visit our website at brokentoken.com for articles, reviews, restoration logs, direct show downloads, and expanded show notes for this and every episode. Once again, thanks for listening.
1: The Broken Token staff would like to extend a special thank you to the real vocal talent of the show, Christy Litzy.
0: And that's me. Cha-ching!
1: Music for the Broken Token podcast provided by Kentucky native bluegrass musician Gary Brewer. Please visit brewgrass.com. That's B-R-E-W-G-R-A-S-S dot com. For the latest information, show dates, and to purchase music.
2: (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, was Brent's frustration taken out on the floor. The meat notebook featured in episode number two died. It's gone. Even my dog has come yeah. down to console me. Yeah. It's amazing how good paper bounces though, Brent. I mean, dude, it popped right back up I know and you it caught did. it. Go right back in my hand. <laughs> right back up in your hand. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord.